welcome back to another episode of Veteran Wealth Secrets. I'm Scott Tucker, and this is a show where we, among other things, talk about what, how, how do we want to continue to serve after the military, and how does that align to things like money? Too often, we're working to live instead of living to work, and, and I'm excited today to have Tim Johnson coming to us from Columbus, Ohio on the show. Tim, is a uh, former Air Force and the founder of Cannabis Safety First. It's an industry and safety and security specialist providing biometric security systems, custom vaults, safety training, consulting, and legislative uh, lobbying for the up-and-coming cannabis industry. And as someone who came out of the military, went into law enforcement, did a number of other things, I'm really curious to hear your story about how you got to what you're doing now and helping people. I know you're a huge veterans advocate in this space, so I think we have a lot of things to talk about. But why don't we start off, tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of how, I know you retired, you got out of the military a while back and, and had a full career in the in law enforcement before you got into other things so tell us a little bit about kind of how you got started and got to what you're doing now well, thanks scott for first for having us on we appreciate sure. all you're doing as well my military tour of duty was in the mid 70s after i got out of that late 70s i went to college mid 80s i was done with college got out of that started into some business management then for a while and i realized my schooling was centered around law enforcement and criminal justice it's what i really enjoyed so i went ahead and uh Got into law enforcement, did my 20 years in there, uh, retired from there. And at about that time, Ohio was addressing the uh, legalization of cannabis in Ohio. So I got involved with the organization that was uh, spearheading that, did some work for them, got down to the state house, started working with legislators on what was going to happen. Of course, we were trying to put it on our constitution. Legislators didn't want that. So long story short, as an end result uh, at the ballot that year, the initiative actually failed. So I was wow. called not long after that, about a week after that, my legislators come down to the state house. I went down and talked with them. Um, I got hooked up with a organization uh, or a few other advocates here in Ohio, and we submitted a white paper for the program and worked with legislators on that. Um, did some touring with them around the state of Ohio to find out what conditions uh, we needed to add to it, what kind of program we were going to create through the legislation and so forth. September, June of 2016, or yeah, June of 2016, our governor at the time signed our uh, the bill into law. Uh, took a couple of years. So actually, I think it still is actually in the process of licensing all the people that won their license, all the applicants. Um, so we do have a medical program as a result of that in Ohio. Veterans are addressed in it. Uh, the example, uh, they do get discounts at the dispensaries. They are prioritized if they're seeking employment. In the industry here in Ohio, uh, they do get advantage, I think, over that. So we moved along with it from there. Ever since then, I've stayed very active with it, working with license holders. As you said, biometric security systems and custom vaults, um, et cetera, et cetera, there that we've done for the facilities. And we still continue to do that today with them as we still more and more license get awarded and so on. Mm -hmm. So uh, I kept working with uh, the legislators. Uh, I do a lot of judicial justice, drug policy reform government overreach reform and so forth, as well as doing the uh, some consult, still consulting in the industry itself. And then I've also recently here, since the time has come around in Ohio's program, you have to, the people working in the uh, the bud tenders, so to say, in the dispensaries, mm -hmm. I've been doing a lot of uh, training with them. 
uh, keeping them up as the program requires them to have continued education units, which is gives uh, Levitt solidifies the uh, the essentialness of the industry itself. So that addressing it, so that yeah, we want you people to be certified and to do continued education units. They are licensed by the state. I still work with, uh, as I said, the legislators on a lot of that, and uh, stay in touch with the boards. Um, wherever we can make improvements and so forth in, uh, in the program. So from there, I'm here now. Wow. You were in at the beginning of not just helping get the industry off the ground, but making sure that this was going to be a possibility. What led to that? What led to your enhanced involvement? Obviously, you, you had some specific expertise in it, but there, there must be a story behind why you were like, hey, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm not only going to you know, advocate for it, but fight for it and make sure we're doing this the right way legislatively. My interest, I think it came in as a, uh, I guess as a younger kid, I always tell people, uh, my dear officers were my brothers, my older brothers. Mm-hmm. And they'd always tell me if I got caught messing around with uh, cannabis, of course, marijuana, they were going <laughs> to, you know, teach me a lesson. So I, I believed them. Once I went into the military, it was readily available. My brothers weren't around. So I did get involved with it then. Um, I realized that all the propaganda and the myths and all the stigma that stills around was uh, just that propaganda, lies, untruths uh, from our own federal government. Mm-hmm. I got out of the military, did my thing in uh, college and so forth. I noticed it was uh, cannabis was everywhere. It's like chocolate in a candy store. It's going to a candy <laughs> store, there's chocolate there. Uh, so after that, once I got into uh, my law enforcement career, I started really picking up on the harm that law enforcement chase and license plates, so to say, and looking for cannabis, the smell of cannabis, you can say was in pretty just about 80% of the vehicles. If you'd stop them, whether it was there or not, you know, you could smell cannabis, mm-hmm. um, but that would lead on to other things. But I seen a lot of problems with that in the justice system, tying up the court systems, mass incarceration for nonviolent offenses, families being destroyed, people losing their license, driver's license, children being taken, and in school, you're uh, getting denied schooling, getting denied employment. All of these things over a plant, over something that up until 1937 was one of the top three medications in the pharmacopoeia for use in the United States. Mm. Um, and then politics got into it. Some wealthy people got involved in it. And the Anslinger era started then. And then we jumped clear up to 1970. Nixon gets involved in it, creates the CSA, the Controlled Substance Act, and declares marijuana a Schedule One against the medical, American Medical Association and uh, JAMA and the Schaefer Commission and all these uh, that have done all this. It's time to bring it back. We need to start studying it again because it's very valuable medicine. Medicines do come from plants. They just weren't going to see it at that time. Uh, they felt a need to go out and hit the small communities up, make mass arrests, tie up the court systems. I don't know if they thought they were bringing in money or what they were doing, but they were going to rid the world of this evil plant. So that that didn't work out real well for them. So we're still fighting for that today to uh, change that stigma, especially in the veterans industry and the veterans community, uh, to say it just ain't so. What we did was we feel we're realizing now, and I've seen uh, amongst that stuff as well, Two out of the three of the officers on the street at the time where we would always stop and talk yeah over coffee and donuts and say what are we doing why are we chasing mm-hmm. this stuff and these people's lives are being destroyed it's tying up our jails it's tying up our court systems we got people going in for back in the day in the 70s you get caught with a pound of dope or a pound of weed and you might do 20 30 years we're seeing people an article the other day i read a guy that was going to do 90 years in prison for little bit of smoke back in the day 
and they actually let him out. Thank God, I guess this is one of COVID's good things. The amount of people that have been pardoned or been released uh, for nonviolent offenses, primarily cannabis, um, they're getting out now. It's, it's totally ridiculous, the penalties that they have. Um, and the law is clear across the United States. Of course, I focus on Ohio, but I keep an eye on the rest of the nation as well and mm-hmm. uh, keep in touch with other active uh, veterans that are involved. But so as a result of seeing all of those problems and so forth, once I had actually got out, as I said earlier, I had that opportunity to uh, work with the um, organization at the time that was pushing for a program here in Ohio. So from there, where we're at today in the state of Ohio, down at the legislature or down at the state house, we do have a full, what we call adult use, um, legalization, in other words, uh, cannabis program. We were hoping to see it be introduced in uh, this year here in 2020. But of course, we fell into too many other things going on right now with the civil unrest, the election and uh, COVID and so forth. So it's been got put on a back burner. Hopefully yeah. after the first of the year, I'll get back down there again and uh, we'll start pushing for that. Maybe we'll get this year, the fall, you know, 2021, 2022, we'll see a full adult use program in Ohio. Um, we're still working on changing bills. We have a Senate Bill 3 in Ohio right now that addresses full decriminalization, clear up through felonies on uh, cannabis instead of uh, instance in Ohio at 100 grams of uh, cannabis. It's a felony five. And once convicted, as we know all know in America, once convicted, you're always convicted. That felony status stays with you forever. You can expunge it. You can do this. You can do whatever you want with it, but it's going to be there. You got that box at the bottom of an employment thing. You got the box of an application for a home loan. And uh, that people just still have all that stigma that's still around that interferes with the progress and so forth. So we'll see. Mm. Uh, 2021 looks to be promising for us with a uh, change of the presidencies here. So we'll see what happens here if we... Hopefully we had, I think, four states promote or pass some kind of a bill this year. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot more or they're still coming on board. We have organizations all over the U.S. now um, that are pushing for decrim, for full legalization, for adult use, whatever, you know, home grow, et cetera, the expungements and, and so on. So it's going to be going to be exciting here in 2021. You are kidding. I mean, honestly, the last just few years, how rapidly this has happened. It's motivating. It's frustrating because we see so many veterans who are on medications for various things, mental, physical injuries. And just so often you hear, I was on the opioids. I was on the depression meds. I wanted to get myself off one way or the other, either, either legally or sometimes they just had to go figure it out. They'd find cannabis, not always the psychoactive part, but sometimes the CBD part. And they just go, holy cow, I don't need to use this medication anymore. Why isn't anybody telling me about this? So I know my friends at the Veterans and uh, the Veterans Cannabis Project are working hard to get with the VA to improve that access. But Tim, clearly you're, you've talked a lot about doing what's right, having some self-determination. You say you, that kind of gotten distilled in you from the Air Force. Why do you think having that kind of self-respect to, to find a purpose, a mission to get behind is so important for not only veterans trying to figure out what they're doing in post-military life, I'm sure, I'm sure it's similar for a lot of law enforcement as well once they, they come off a of service as a day-to-day job, but still want to find something to get behind. Can you tell us a little bit about more? How do we do that? How do we find that person, a mission, a cause to really get behind? I think you kind of hit it right on the head there, Scott. A lot of it's got to do, you know, the military teaches you discipline. Um, and discipline leads to setting a goal. Once you set that goal, are you committed? 
to following through with that goal and to follow through with that commitment, you have to have self-respect for yourself. Whether you're going to have ups, you're going to have downs. You're going to have drama in your life. You're going to have things that you want to just turn around and say, I'm done with it. I'm not going any further. You're going to have people are going to trash talk you. Um, come, careers that you come from, they're going to dig up on your past. They're going to dig up on the negatives. But people very rarely, as you've done, reach out and look for the positive side of what somebody has done, what they've overcome in, in their life and continue to follow through. And they've made something positive out of it. Touching lightly on the, the for veterans getting involved with cannabis, been around cannabis myself for 44 years now in my life. And uh, I see, I've met a lot of veterans that have come home or even some of those that are still in and they get injured. And they, the first thing that, you know, doctors want to push opiates on us. They want us to take these opiates. And I've seen so many veterans, a handful of pills decide to say, okay, I don't really want to try cannabis because it could mess with my medical benefits, my retirement benefits or whatever it may be, disability from the military. But this is my life. And they find out that starting to use medical cannabis, these 20 pills or so a day, they may be taken. They may be down to a couple pills a day that, you know, that they actually truly need. Yeah. Um, don't advocate at all to totally get rid of all your medications. There's some that you may actually need. Cannabis is not a healer for all things. Neither is CBD, THC, whatever. The psychoactive part, my personal opinion and experience, I guess on the lighter side, I'm still waiting to see Bob Marley. Don't see that there as they talk about it in the CBD industry. I just mm -hmm. don't see that negative. Not that cannabis, full extraction cannabis or FICO, it, is, it can be very powerful. Um, mm -hmm. it, it really can, but we don't see people dying from cannabis. We don't see uh, negative effects from cannabis as we do with uh, prescription medications and so forth. So yeah. we, you, you get a medication that says it's good for this, but here's 10 things that are side effects. We don't see that in the cannabis industry, as well as we still see a lot of stigma veterans do. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you were a veteran. You fought for freedom for your country. Why are you doing an illegal drug? You know, I get that's your perception. That's the stigma and the propaganda that comes along from mm -hmm. you know, the Anslinger years and so forth. And we still face that. Now, over the last few years, as many organizations, veteran organizations that I've seen become very active, not only in Ohio, but across the country, pushing at a national level, pushing at an international level. It's not just our country, not just American veterans, but mm -hmm. all veterans pushing for this that we're tired of you shoving pills in front of us and we're tired of you evaluating us for mental health and mental that and so forth we found something that is helping us we're becoming uh, productive members in society we're moving through the ranks of politics we're in upper management it's there we're doing a lot we're creating jobs by the companies that recruit we create mm -hmm. so forth so i we also see the the veteran organ vets are the through the government. We also see them opening up a little bit and allowing uh, veteran doctors to say, "Okay, it's on you." The doctor actually gets to make the choice. It's on you if you think that your veteran patient needs to try medical cannabis. Mm -hmm. So along the line, so. Uh, that's helping out a lot. We're still waiting for it to be recognized legally from uh, veteran for all, all veterans, and see how far that's going to go. Uh, you know, across the country within these military uh, branches and so forth, and uh, stop penalizing us for something that's working. If we're used, even if you're deployed, uh, it's not like cannabis doesn't get used by deployed, you know, veterans and so forth. Or, <laughs> yeah, know, and it's out there. So you got to say, it, hey, when I'm 18 years old and I go on to the military base, I got an idea. I can walk into any bar I want, drink all the alcohol I want, but leave us alone on the cannabis. We're probably the most productive people that you have. So. 
Yeah, I was just uh, t- talking to someone who went one. He said he was prescribed roughly 300 opioids, uh, Percocets a month, in addition to 600 ibuprofen. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious, the medical doctors know there's danger in that. You know, what's the risk of saying, hey, try it? Why, why not try the cannabis first? Might save my ass from a lawsuit. But no, it's still not there in a lot of the medical community. I'm guessing there's some pharmaceutical push on, on why that happens. But Tim, tell us a bit. I know you set up an event in Ohio, specifically around veterans a year or so ago. What can, what, where should veterans be thinking about? The ones that want to get interested, a lot come to me and, and they're, hey, I want to know more about this. Maybe from an employment standpoint, maybe from a medical, maybe from a recreational standpoint, whatever it is, I'm afraid to dabble. I, I think there's maybe two areas where veterans can get more involved or, or fight for themselves. One on the employment side, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. And then two, is there anything else on the legislative stuff where uh, veterans can make more of a push? Uh, Yeah, sure. On the employment side, as we all know, a lot of companies in America, they take pride in hiring a veteran. Uh, Mm. The problem we run into, though, is when that employment gets ready to be started and they say, come on in, we need to do a drug analysis on you. And you're like, okay, I'm taking 23 opiates. Is that okay? You getting them from your doctor? Yeah, well, that's okay. Then I get a dime bag of weed and smoke a joint a couple of times, you know, throughout the week or whatever it might be, or I have edibles or whatever. And you go in, you piss dirty for THC. So you're out the door. They're not going to hire you. Uh, but there's a lot of opportunities there. So I think what to overcome all of that stigma, all of that stuff is for veterans to get involved with organizations such as your own, such as, you know, I mean, there are literally thousands of them across the U.S. Mm-hmm. And what these organizations need to do in a collaborative and a transparent effort is to not just the local, you know, community leaders, but the state legislators, the federal legislators, push for veteran rights when it comes to cannabis. It needs to come off of Schedule 1. The federal government with, you know, the DEA, uh, you know, they're still pushing. We need to keep it at, you know, as schedule one and the reason behind that is the dea a lot of the uh, that operates on their success we'll say their quotas they make arrests daily on the guys on the street they're not really taking off the big people bringing it in large cartels they're not taking out those leaders and it makes you wonder because of how much money they actually generate from this that comes Hmm. in but so in a short sense I, i can't express enough to reach out to legislators in your states. Because here's what I tell veterans and people when I do speak at events and so forth. I says, you have to look at it this way. Federal government has not approved medical programs for cannabis or adult use programs. So mm-hmm. my opinion, they're conspiring with illegal activity as the states do it. They mm-hmm. are the don of the cartel, so to say. At a federal from and violating federal law themselves, they're living in this glass house. But us, you know, peons down here on the street, they're taking it out on us. But if we can just get it out of Schedule One, but hopefully this new administration will address that. Um, that's going to open it up to where not only states right now are bucking the system as it is. Where are we at? 34, 35 states with medical. I think up to 15 with adult choice now. So that all all have medical as well. We've got another four or five states coming on this year with programs and more in the process of it. So sooner or later, all 50 states are going to have a program. Federal needs to stand down. 
What we yeah. need is a national nullification that every the states are taking over this. It needs to come out. Big pharma needs to be addressed. They need to step aside. It's not like big pharma is not in cannabis. They're in it hot and heavy. They've got mm-hmm. patents on it. We don't. Example I use a lot of times that's confusing to me. And I spend with several attorneys that I uh, consult and work with. We in the courthouse, you know, I was asked to judge the one question, you know, in the state of Ohio, uh, cannabis is a schedule one, as far as the CSA cannabis under the medical program in Ohio, because it's schedule two. And then we got somebody like GW pharmaceutical that has patented Epidiolex and they got it scheduled as a schedule five so when you look at a judge and say, look, there's three schedules on this one plant. No other drug is like that. Yeah. We're confused. Which one are we operating under today? Uh, so I, I think only in fairness, if we continue, and it's not like it's not being done, believe me. D.C. is full of veteran organizations that are pounding on the doors every day up there. Mm-hmm. Law enforcement organizations that are uh, pounding on the door. LEAP, Law Enforcement Action Partnership, organization I'm a part of. Uh, some great people in there, federal judges down to a street officer on the street, prosecutors and all, pounding the door. This needs to be changed. We need to make this wrong, make it a right. And now we need to start looking at our veterans, and that's what I think what they can do. It's very easy to find out whatever state you're in, who your legislators are, and I always tell people you can do the old uh, call them on the phone, send them an email, knock on the door and walk in, or send up a smoke signal to them, one or the other. Uh, but just get active. I can't express it enough. Get active, contact those lawmakers, and demand change. Yeah, Tim, thank you so much for sharing. Gosh, you packed in so much wisdom and insight on what's going on in the industry, what the opportunities are, what the problems are, and more specifically, what's the why? The why is the self-determination. We want to serve. Hey, we want to help people. We always we say that, hey, I want to help other veterans get out. And there just happens to be this moment in time where this new thing is happening. What better thing to be a part of than something coming off the ground. Continue using your leadership skills, your influence. Hey, by the way, when a veteran's calling up a congressman versus a non-veteran, they listen a little more, let's be honest. I know of dozens, if not hundreds, of academy graduates um, that are in the cannabis industry and highly influential. So this is all levels, all sorts of different ranks, and and loved hearing the law enforcement perspective. I hope it gets fixed because we can help with jobs. I think there's so many jobs. What better environment than a highly regulated environment and chaos at the same time? That sounds like a good industry for a veteran to take leadership in and not to mention the medical side. But uh, Tim, as we close out here, uh, thanks again. What's next for you in the the next three to five years? Where do you see cannabis uh, safety first going or any other, uh, anything else you want to talk about or announce? I just, as far as cannabis safety first, I also have an organization because of the stigma of the word cannabis safety first 101. And that's kind of like with the general public, those that are afraid to say, let's have this guy come in. He's really fantastic. But right. the name of the cannabis safety first, as I spoke for an organization yesterday about it. So it, it, I, I'm looking to see <laughs> the training. It's my passion. I'm not out to make millions or anything. I got a retirement plan. I'm of that age and so forth. I'm I'm living well, et cetera. To me, it's my passion is to correct that wrong, to get rid of that stigma, to take care of our veterans, stop killing us, give us, give all people, give veterans, give us our rights when it comes to employment, to continued education, et cetera, and so forth. That's my goal is to educate as many people as I can. As we know, educational awareness is a key to success and to reach out and educate all walks of life, rich, wealthy, 
poor, whatever they may be in between legislators alike. I reach out to law enforcement all the time and say, hey, sometimes it goes over, sometimes it don't, but they seem to have a little problem with wanting to hear the truth, but it is what it is. I'm not afraid to reach out and say something to them. I don't have to. It's not a yes or no, sir, anymore. Um, so <laughs> that, uh, I don't have to listen to the Sarge say, take that hill, and then you take the hill. All um, right. Now it's like, uh, hold off before we take that hill, we're going to make some adjustments here um, type thing. So I would just say that's where I plan on being for next whenever to all the other veterans that are out there make those calls send those emails from local community leaders clear up you know to federal and hit your state legislation uh, that seems for the cannabis industry that seems to be where it's at creating good state programs sooner or later we'll all come together and we'll hit at the federal level and we'll see some changes i believe awesome tim thank you so much for your leadership the industry especially in in my home state of ohio really nice seeing uh the improvements going on there tim how do people contact you who should be contacting you and how do they get a hold of you uh, i welcome anyone and everyone to contact me i talk okay. to people all the day or all day long every day to in Ohio, if you go to legislator, legislature.ohio.gov, it will guide you right to who your representatives are, who your senators are. Okay. You can reach out to the executive branch, the governor, lieutenant governor, all of them if you want. But start with the lawmakers. Start with the legislators. They make the law. Reach out to them. As far as to get a hold of me, name of the company is CanvasSafetyFirst.com. Email is CanvasSafetyFirst at gmail.com. Um, get a hold of me. Let me know who you are, what you want to talk about or whatever. And, you know, I've always got a listening ear, whether it's productive, non-productive or whatever, everything to me, if I'm listening is productive. Um, it's just how I feel about it. I'm going to always look for the positive and something, um, out of self-respect and uh, the same, I give to the people that reach out to me as well, give them, help people all the time, connection, so forth. So, uh, that would be my suggestions. Awesome. And, and you're on LinkedIn as well. Of course. Okay, cool. Thanks again, Tim. R really appreciate everything and uh, spend your time with us. Wish you a happy Thanksgiving. I, I I don't know if I mentioned this, but I completely forgot it. Tomorrow was Thanksgiving. I thought it was next week. <laughs> Just... Every day is Thanksgiving as long as we're breathing. There you go, man. All right. Take care, everyone, and we will see you next time. Thanks again, right. Tim. Thank you, Scott. You bet.